Well, good morning, everyone. It's really great to see you. Thank you for being here to worship with us today. If we have not met, uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of our lead pastors, and it is really great to see you. Um, if, uh, before we get into the sermon this morning, on your way in, you should have gotten one of these little cards. Um, here's what we're asking you to do. We're asking everyone to fill one of these out. Um, I, this isn't just normally, some of you might have been a little confused because we used to pass out stuff like this and say, if you're new to the Vista or if you're visiting with us, if you'll fill one of these out. But um, there's a couple things, a couple reasons why we want you to fill these out. Number one, we have a lot of new ministries uh, and things. So if you'll look on here, if you want to, uh, if there's a box that applies and you want to check it, or if you want information about a new ministry or something we're starting, this will help us know and gauge interest and who we need to contact about these specific things. Um, but the other reason is this, that occasionally it's helpful for us to make sure we have accurate information on our uh, regular attenders and members. Uh, there's a lot of times, you know, email addresses are wrong or, or names are wrong or things like that. And so this can help us, if nothing else, just ensure that we, our records um, and our, our membership roles are up to date and accurate. And so we're asking everyone to fill one out. There's some boxes or buckets, little blue buckets on your way out. You can drop these in. And uh, again, this is just for us to make sure we have all the correct information that we need. So p- please take some time. I give you permission during my sermon if you want to, uh, you know, to write on that thing. Or take notes, whatever you know, whatever you want to, whatever you want to do. But please drop that uh, in one of those buckets on your way out. That would help us a lot. All right. This morning we are in the second week of a series called "Exploring the Essentials." Austin launched us into this series last week, um, and he set it up really, really well. And something we've uh, said around here for a long time is that we think a, a healthy church needs both an open hand and a closed hand. Okay. Uh, we've talked about this. We've actually used this analogy pretty much since, uh, since the church was started. And so what that means is this, that like we need to have an open hand, and in the open hand are things that you and I can disagree about, okay? It's okay. Like everything is not a hill to die on, okay? We, we don't have to pick silly fights. We don't have to argue about every single matter of theology and practice. You can see some things one way. I can see some things another. We can still be brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to have a generous orthodoxy, which uh, orthodoxy means right beliefs. We need to be generous about that, though, because not everybody views every little thing the same way. However, we also need to have a closed hand. Every church needs to have a closed hand. And in that closed hand, those are the things that are essential. Those are the things that make you distinctly Christian, if a church has two open hands, they're not Christian or the church, right? They're just, they're just some kind of organization that believe whatever you want. Nothing really matters, right? And Austin rightly said last week, sadly, a lot of churches have two closed hands, right? It's love Jesus and do it like this or you're wrong, okay? And we want to, again, we think uh, healthy churches should have an open hand and a closed hand. This particular series is really about what goes in our closed hand. Okay, those things that are essential. And so last week, Austin started by talking about what we believe about God. Um, he tied that, of course, to the practice of prayer. This week, we're going to be looking at the second of our, of our doctrinal essentials, and that is Scripture. I get to preach about the Bible today. I love to talk about the Bible. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2 to start with. Um, I'll, I'll mention this if you do not have a Bible. We always have some Bibles in the back in front of the sound booth. Uh, you're always welcome to grab one of those if you want. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, we invite you just to take one of those, write your name in it. That can be your Bible, your little gift from us. We want everybody to have a copy of God's Word. 
And so if those run out back there, we've got more. We'll, we'll restock, the, restock the shelf, but we want you to have that. Um, as always, we'll throw up the scripture references on the screen so that you can see them. Um, but today we get to talk about scripture, what we believe about scripture. So I'll start with our church's uh, statement on scripture. Okay, here's, here's what it says. We believe the Bible is inspired by God, the ultimate authority for life and faith, infallible in what it teaches. Okay, that is our doctrinal statement what we believe about Scripture or the Bible. Now, as we get started, I don't want to just assume that everybody in here, you know, is familiar with the Bible and knows what we're talking about when we say the Scriptures. Maybe you didn't grow up in church, or maybe you grew up in a particular church or denomination where, um, you know, the Word of God wasn't really uh, talked about a whole lot, and it can be a little bit confusing. And so I'm going to start with just some general information about the Bible, um, and and then we'll, we'll get into our text, okay? So the Bible is actually not a book, okay? The Bible's not a book. The Bible is essentially a collection of books, okay? It's a collection of books. There are 39 books in what we know as the Old Testament. There are 27 books in what we call the New Testament, okay? So altogether, the Bible is actually a collection. It's a library, if you will, of 66 books, okay? And they're all, they're all put together. But what you might find interesting and or confusing is that they're not put together chronologically, right? You ever notice that? You ever try to read your Bible and you're like, what in the world? Like, it's, it's all out of order. Like, who put this thing together? What were they drinking when they put this thing together? Because it is all messed up. Because the Bible's not organized chronologically. The Bible is organized by genre of literature, okay? And so what you'll find is you've got all the books of the law together, and then you have, like, the books of history together, and then you have the wisdom literature together, and then you have the prophets together, and then you get into the New Testament and you have uh, what's called the Gospels, the first four books of the New Testament. Those are the biographies of the life of Jesus, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you have the letters that were written to churches or to individuals that were to be read to the churches, okay? So the Bible is not put together chronologically, which can be confusing for a lot of people, it's put together in genre of literature, much like you would find in a library, okay? Um, And so, some other things about Scripture that are really, really important, okay? Scripture was written over the course of about 1,500 years, okay? That's a long time. It was written over the course of about 1,500 years. There were uh, at least 40 different authors of Scripture, okay? At least 40 different authors, most of whom never met and did not know one another. It was written on, from three different continents, okay? Uh, it was written from, from, parts of it were written from Africa, some from Europe, and some from Asia, okay? So it was not all written in the same place during the same time. It was written over the course of a lot of years, uh, three different continents, and in three different languages. So the Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew. The New Testament was primarily written in Greek, and then there were some smatterings of Aramaic in there as well. So this is important to to remember. Written over the course of 1,500 years, at least 40 different authors, most of whom had never met, from three different continents in three different languages. Now, I don't have time to fully unpack all of the reasons I believe the Bible is true. The Bible is, you can trust it, okay? There's a lot of evidence and stuff like that we could try to unpack. But let me just give you one big sort of overarching reason I believe the Bible is, is true. Because everything we just said about the Bible, 1,500 years, 40 different authors, three different continents, three different languages, and yet the Bible has unbelievable cohesiveness 
and symmetry and unity um, despite all of those things. Like the big idea of Scripture, all of, the, all of these authors that did not know one another, they're all writing about the same big idea. Uh, and that big idea is Jesus the Messiah and his work at the cross for us, okay? We've said this before, but even in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is foreshadowing, pointing to the coming of Christ, Okay, it's all kind of leading up to and pointing to the coming of Christ. Prophecies written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before he was born, they're all sort of pointing to getting us ready for Christ. And then the New Testament begins with the person and work of Jesus and what he accomplished for us at the cross. And then the, the, the letters written later, they're all pointing back to the cross. They're all reminding us of that sacrifice and how it applies to us for our salvation. So what I want you to see is there is no other work of literature that that stands this sort of test. Forty different authors, three different languages, three different continents, they didn't know one another, and yet there's unbelievable unity and symmetry together. They're all writing about the same big idea. And that's what the Bible is. It's this collection of books. And so with that in mind... We believe the Bible to be inspired by God, so it's not, it's not just like men just decided to write some stuff and throw it all together in a, in a book, right? It was God speaking through, working through human authors that, that wrote this down, and so that's what we believe by when we say it's inspired. I want you to look with me, if you would, at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. We're going to look at three different uh, texts this morning, three different texts in the New Testament. Um, some things, these are probably some of the more popular, prominent texts uh, about Scripture, about the Bible. And I want to unpack these for you for just a moment. 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 15, the Apostle Paul is writing here to a man named Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor. Paul and Timothy were very, very close friends. In fact, Paul actually calls Timothy uh, his beloved son in the faith. They literally had like a parent-child relationship. Paul's like the seasoned vet, the older pastor. He's planted a lot of churches. He's pastored and done ministry for a long time. Timothy is much younger. He's just kind of getting started in ministry. And Paul is writing this letter to Timothy to encourage him in his work. And what he says here in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, he says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. And look what he says at the end. Rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word of truth. That's what we want to be concerned with as we talk about Scripture. We want to be a place that rightly handles the word of truth. We want to be people that rightly handle the word of truth. Now, what is presupposed in the text is if there's a right way to handle the word of truth, guess what? (laughs) There's also a wrong way or multiple wrong ways to handle the word of truth. And again, for the sake of time, I don't have time to really walk through all of the various ways that God's word is used wrongly, but I do want to give a couple of really kind of big, glaring ones that I think Christians are often prone to, okay? A couple of ways that even Christians uh, are sort of prone to wrongly use the word of God, okay? The first one of those is simply this, by taking verses or text or even stories out of the context in which they were written and sort of making them say whatever you want them to say or apply to whatever thing or agenda or position or or whatever you want them to apply to. You see what I'm saying? Happens all the time. People take verses out of context uh, and they'll just kind of, they'll just make it apply to to whatever thing or whatever issue or whatever agenda uh, they happen to be wanting to to back. They they proof texted and and I'll give you some examples. Like 
Really popular verse in the New Testament. Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You ever hear that one? Seen it on a t-shirt, coffee cup, right? Really popular verse. And literally, we will take that verse and we will smack that thing and make it apply to anything we are trying to do, right? We'll make that thing apply to like sports. I can do all things through Christ. God's going to help me win this game. I'll apply it to my, I can do all things through Christ. You know, I want to date this girl. I can do all things through Christ. Like that supermodel is going to date me. I can all, Jesus, you know, like name it and claim it. No, listen, (laughs) that, that verse does not mean that you can do anything you want, all right? Um, I have recently, I'm, I'm coming to terms with the fact that I will most likely never play in the NBA. <laughs> most likely. I still have some eligibility left, but I just don't, no one's really calling right now. You know what I mean? My, my, my agent is, yeah, nothing. I got nothing, right? It doesn't matter. Listen, I am, I am short and I can't jump that high. And it doesn't matter how much I quote that verse. I can write that verse on my sneakers all I want to, right? I am not, I cannot, you know, go dunk on LeBron James. It's just not going to happen. It doesn't matter how often I quote the verse. Like, that verse does not mean you can do anything you want if you just have enough faith. That's not what Paul's saying. That's not what Paul had in mind in any way, form, or fashion, right? There's other verses you might have heard. Like, there's a verse in Ephesians where Paul says, wives, honor or submit to your husbands. We all love that verse, right? (laughs) Here's the thing. There's a whole lot of stuff that precedes that verse that needs to be unpacked and taught. But what happens is when you have like some overbearing husband that wants to just pull that one out and demand that you, like it's taking the verse out of context, out of the context in which it was written and trying to make it apply to something you want to happen. That's a, that's a misuse of God's word. That's a misuse of the text when you just sort of pull it out of context and try to make it apply to something, right? Um, just this week, actually it might've been the week before, but week before last, in the Texas legislature, like there was a legislator that got up at the mic in front of the whole, in the Texas legislative session and quoted from 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, where Peter says to make your calling and your election sure. She was basically quoting it to say that, you know, God is against voter fraud. I mean, listen, I'm, I'm against voter fraud. Like, if there's a box to check, you know, are you for voter fraud or not? Yes or no? I'm against voter fraud, Okay. But Peter is not talking in any way, form, or fashion about a political election there. He is talking about the election of the saints, the election of God's people, the church. And to try to take a verse and make it try to fit a political agenda is the same. It's taking a verse out of the context in which it was written and trying to make it apply to whatever you want it to apply to. And that is one of the ways we are often prone to misuse Scripture, okay? It's one of the classic ways we misuse Scripture. Another way that Christians in particular are often prone to misuse Scripture, and we have to really guard and be careful with this, is that when we use it as as nothing more than like a measuring stick with which to judge other people by. Are you with me? So like basically uh, making the Bible nothing more than a collection of rules and laws with which to beat up sinners with is a misuse of the text. And the irony here is that that's exactly what the Pharisees did, right? 
If you remember the Pharisees, those were the religious leaders during Jesus' day. Jesus had a big problem with the Pharisees because what they had done is take the, the scriptures, which for them was the Old Testament, and they had boiled it down to nothing more than a bunch of rules and laws. They added to it some of their own rules and laws, and they basically only used it to look down their noses, judge, criticize other people. And what's ironic is the, it's often the people that really love God's word the most people that really have a high view of God's word and they genuinely love the word of God and they're trying to sort of uh, protect it, if you will, that are most prone to often use it the same way the Pharisees did. <clears throat> I've said this before, but man, if, if, if you simply use the text as nothing more than a means to just beat up sinners without pointing those sinners to the sacrifice of Christ on their behalf, on their behalf, without pointing them to the, the, the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus displayed at the cross, then you are misusing the text. You're misusing the scriptures. And so those are just kind of two big overarching ways that I think we have to be careful about. We're all, it's, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone from time to time. We have to be very careful and guard against not misusing the text in those, in those particular ways. So there's there's other ways that we can wrongly use the scriptures. Maybe you've seen some of those, but what we want to be concerned with is how do we rightly use the scriptures? How do we rightly use the scriptures? Look at me over, it's a page over in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy, this very same letter that Paul writes to his dear friend Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Paul writes, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So Paul gives uh, four things there, uh, four ways in which Scripture is rightly used. Did you catch those? It's rightly used for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness. Now, I'm What I want to show you, though, is is less those specific four things and something that those four things all have in common, okay? Uh, Namely, that to really do these four things that Paul says uh, are ways we rightly use Scripture, they all require other people. You notice that? They all require community with other people. If we're going to rightly use the Word of God, listen, he says uh, it's profitable for teaching, well, if there's nobody else to teach, then, then, then what are we, who are we teaching, right? You, you got to have other people to teach. Like if, if, if I showed up every Sunday to teach and none of you were here, what am I doing, right? I'm just talking to myself. For reproof and correction, well, well, who is there to sort of reprove and correct? For training in righteousness, the things that we're told to do with God's word require other people if they're going to be implemented and practiced in the right way. In other words, to rightly handle the word of truth requires that we not just read in isolation by ourselves, but it requires that we do some reading and studying in the context of a biblically faithful community, right? One of the primary ways that we rightly handle the word of truth is by reading and studying not just in isolation, but in a community of faith with a high view of God's word. This, this helps prevent misreadings, misinterpretations, taking passages out of context. When we can do this, we can study this in community. It helps all of us sharpen one another and make sure that we're handling the Word of God rightly. Early on in the Christian church, um, there was a creed called the Apostles' Creed. 
So Austin talked last week about a, a creed. We're going to read one in just a moment. But the Apostles' Creed is the one we often sing. In fact, last Sunday, if you were here, we sang this song, I believe in God the Father. I believe in Christ the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. And we sing this song. That's largely from the Apostles' Creed. And it was one of the first sort of a creeds of, of the early church, early believers. But it says, I believe, I believe, I believe. And listen, it is important that, that you believe. It's important that you have your own faith, that you're not just spending your life living solely off of the faith of other people. Like, you need to have your own faith. Your faith does need to be personal to you. But what happened in the early church is um, there were some people that would come along and go, well, well, I believe this, and it was a little different. Well, I believe this, and there was a little, a little difference in there. Well, you believe what you believe, but I, I believe what I believe, and so we can all still be the church. We can all still be Christians, right? Does that sound like today? Does that not sound like people today? Well, you have your truth, but I have my truth, and you don't tell me what I need to believe. My truth is my truth. Your truth can be your truth. Truth is all relative. You make it what you want. This is not a new phenomenon. This has been going on for a really long time. People want to believe what they want to believe. And so heresy began to creep into the church where people would go, well, that's fine for you, but here's what I believe. And it it was a little bit different. So in AD 325, the Council of Nicaea, the church gets together and they they, they put together a new creed. Very similar to the Apostles' Creed with a few little, bit, little differences. And I want to read the Nicene Creed. This is one of the long-standing creeds straight from Scripture. The church getting together, they peruse over Scripture. Here's what uh, we think Scripture says. And this is, the statement of, this is the statement of faith. The Nicene Creed. I'll read it to you. We'll throw it up here on the screen. Okay? It says, We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, one in being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he was born of the Virgin Mary and became man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in fulfillment of the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. With the Father and the Son, he is worshiped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. That word Catholic does not mean Catholic denomination. It's the word Catholic meaning global church, the whole church, okay? We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins, and we look forward, we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, okay? That is the Nicene Creed. When the church got together, And they said, okay, we've got all these people saying, I believe this, and I believe this, and I believe this. And there were some heresies and false ideologies beginning to creep into the church. The church got together and said, no, 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 we need a statement that says, this is what it means to follow the scriptures. This is what it means to be Christian, okay? And what I wanted to show you in this, the the plural nature. In the Apostles' Creed, it was, I believe, I believe, I believe. And again, that's still important. We're going to keep singing that song. It's important that you have that belief. But listen, the we... The we matters, right? The we matters. 
It matters collectively what the church has affirmed throughout history. Austin said it last week, like, we don't get to just make this stuff up. We don't get to kind of create our own faith. We don't get to, like, tear pages out of the Bible that we don't like and just keep the ones that we do. We don't get to make our own creeds up, and we don't get to, you know, form our own ideology of who God is and what God is like. God has revealed himself and shown us who he is and what he's like. So we don't get to make it up. The we matters. Same thing with our doctrinal statements. Everyone that will be going through in this series, we believe this, we believe this, we believe this, because we don't get to make it up. And so scripture, when it's rightly handled, it's done in the context of we. Where we can sit alongside other brothers and sisters in Christ, we can unpack the scriptures, we can be taught the scriptures, um, we, can, we can share maybe thoughts and, and views, but those are sort of uh, in the context of other people helping make sure we're not mishandling or mistreating or taking things out of context. It's a, it's a really important protective measure. The last verse I want to share with you is over in 2 Peter chapter 1. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter is, is writing here, and he says, he says this about Scripture. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Peter's making sure there was a question in the early church about the Scriptures. And the thought being like, well, I mean, did people just kind of make it up? This guy has a view and that guy has a view and they just wrote it all down. And there was some questioning and some doubting about the scriptures. And so Peter's writing to go, hey, that is not how scripture started. Scripture wasn't just people's own interpretation. Scripture wasn't just guys making this stuff up. This was God writing through people. This is God's word to us. It's God's self-disclosure to his people. The Bible didn't start by someone's own interpretation Listen, the Bible is not carried along by someone's own interpretation. I'll say this. Someone's own interpretation isn't just wrong. It's dangerous, right? Someone's own interpretation is actually really, really dangerous. That's how cults get started, right? That's how cults get started. Like every cult in the history of the world was some dude sitting around going, well, I think think this is what it's saying, right? I mean, I think the Bible says that, you know, I should do this, this, and this. This is what It's somebody sitting there that they put themselves as way smarter than everyone else, and there's usually no accountability, there's no checks, there's no nothing. It's someone just interpreting the Bible for themselves and saying, claiming to have sort of a a clearer view or, or a revelation that other people don't have. This is what God's saying to me. And then you find some really gullible people that will go, wow, that guy sounds really smart. He must have got straight A's at Bible college and seminary. I bet he did really well in Greek and Hebrew. Let's follow after him. And it's usually to their own demise, right? Right? Listen, when someone says, this is what it means to me, I always want to go, uh, no, Mr. Koresh, that's not what it means at all, right? Like, I'm sorry, but it doesn't, like, I've sat in so many Bible studies. Listen, it's always, like, you'll sit in a Bible study. I love, I, I go to our Friday morning uh, men's Bible study. And sometimes in Bible study, you'll be throwing in, talking about a text, and, and you'll, 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 You'll have someone in there that goes, you know, this is what, when I read this text, this is what it means to me. You ever hear somebody do that? Well, this is what it means to me. And whenever I hear that, I just, part of me wants to just go, listen, with all due respect as your pastor who loves you, it doesn't matter what it means to you, right? It it doesn't matter what it means to me. It doesn't. 
It matters what it means, period, full stop, right? It matters what it means. It doesn't, my, my interpretation is not like, it doesn't matter. Your interpretation, it matters what it means, and that's part of why we want to study it in community because when someone goes, well, I think this means I should have seven wives and that I'm actually the Messiah, somebody around the circle ought to go, uh, I think you might be a little off there, buddy. Like, I think that's probably not an accurate interpretation. Like, let's, let's, uh, let's talk about this, right? Like, there ought to be some people around the room where there's some accountability that when you start to, you start to think something means something that it doesn't actually mean, there's, when, there's, when there's a group and there's accountability, when you're studying it in community, it helps make sure we don't start doing stuff like that, right? And so if we're going to... Listen, there's a lot of ways to wrongly handle the word of truth. There's a lot of ways to wrongly handle it, and we want to be on guard and be careful that we are not a church, that we are not a people that are careless with God's Word, that are taking God's Word out of context, that are making it apply and mean things it's not supposed to mean. We want to make sure that we're not using God's Word to just simply beat up sinners, but that we're pointing people to the all-sufficient saving work of Christ on their behalf and His grace and His forgiveness and His love. We're calling sinners to repentance, but we got to point them to Jesus, right? We want to make sure that we're people that are handling God's word rightly, which means we don't just study it and read it and memorize it in isolation by ourselves so that we can look and appear really pious and really holy. We want to be people that handle the word of God in the context of community with other people. God's word is a communal book. It, It was written to people. It was written to God's people in community. It was written to churches gathered together. And so we don't want to just take it and make it mean what we want it to mean in, in our, by ourselves. We want to read it rightly in community with others. Let's pray together today. Father, today we are grateful for your word. It really is a, a beautiful gift that you give us. God, we're grateful that you chose to, um, to speak through these human authors, these 40 different authors in three different languages and three different continents. And we have this, this collection of books, God, that is your disclosure of yourself to us. And God, I pray that we would see it as a gift. I pray that we would treat it with the reverence that it deserves. God, I pray that we would not misuse your word. And I pray you'd forgive us when there's been times and seasons where we've done that. God, I pray that we would be people that understand the importance of we, that understand the importance of reading and studying and unpacking your word together with other believers. And Father, we're we're grateful ultimately that your word points us to you. It points us to Jesus. It points us, God, to your all-sufficient saving work at the cross for us. God, remind us today, we don't worship the Bible. We believe the Bible. We hold the Bible in a very high regard, but God, we don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. So help us to be people that worship, that study and learn. And pray these things today in Christ's name. Amen.